I've been writing, I've <laughs> randomly written songs ever since I was a kid. And, um, oh, uh, here's a good one. I wrote it when I was five uh, in Hong Kong and uh, me and my siblings would run around singing it. Um, it goes, uh, have you ever given creation to a tree? Have you ever given creation to a tree? To a tree. Have you ever given creation? Have you ever given vision? Have you ever given creation to a tree? To a tree. And then it, it continues like, like, yes, I have given creation to a tree. It has a bunch of verses. And then at the wow. end, there's a key change up and it goes, we will all give creation to a tree and then there's a big shout to a tree we will all give you know and there's all the harmonies all give all give creation to a tree we will all give creation we will all give creation we will all give creation to a tree Sidewalk Talk. I am with Crywolf today. We're on segways. It's my first day, so if I fall. You grew up in Rayleigh, North Carolina. North Raleigh. Raleigh. Yeah. <laughs> Raleigh. Tell me what it was like growing up there. Um, well, we moved there when I was like nine. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a pretty big change from living in Hong Kong before that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just sort of like a traditional suburban uh, southeastern Bible Belt kind of area um, so super different from where I live now and the people that I'm around now mm. um, so the transition from me being in high school to now has been really drastic for sure. what were your parents doing at the time um, my dad was in real estate and my mom was helping with that business and mm -hmm. my mom is also involved in a lot of nonprofit work Mm -hmm. um, specifically with um, orphans in Africa and finding them families and supporting them. Wow. Um, so grew up with pretty interesting parents because before that, as I mentioned on the last episode, they were uh, Bible smugglers. Um, that's why we were living in Hong Kong. And uh, so definitely like really interesting people. And uh, we were homeschooled. What, is, what do you mean Bibles? Well, what? in China, uh, Bibles were illegal at the time. Right. And Hong Kong was still a British colony. So it was really easy to get uh, a uh, visa to go to Hong Kong, but really difficult to get a visa to go to China. So they would live in Hong Kong, get the Bible shipped there, and then smuggle them. Like my, my mom had this, uh, this like thing that made it look like she was pregnant, but it was actually like a bunch of Bibles in there and they would like what? put them under my stroller and stuff like that. What? So you were a part of the struggling smuggling business and yeah, you didn't yeah, even I know? Yeah, I just been a felon from <laughs> age two. We were like heavily involved in the church when I was younger mm. up until I left um, and sort of rebelled and ran away. Uh, and we were, you know, it's a very, very insular sort of church community. So mm. that's why being exposed to 
you know, culture on the West Coast. I moved to New York. Being exposed to that culture was such a shock for me because I really grew up in sort of this religious bubble. Like I never was able to listen to secular music. I like only was really around these Christian friends. Um, so yeah, definitely a, a big difference. But I do, I actually really, so we were homeschooled in Hong Kong because the public school system was not very good there. And then when we moved to the US, um, I, we continued to homeschool until I, like the middle of high school. So I spent a lot of time alone in the woods, just like exploring. And I feel like I developed this whole really rich inner life, which I think um, now I'm really great. At the time it sucked because I wanted to like be a normal American kid. I wanted to like go to school and you know, have all of these experiences that I had seen on like Nickelodeon and the Disney Channel in Hong Aww. Kong. I want to like have the American experience, but now I look back and I'm really happy that that happened because um, it made me really weird, which you know helps a lot when you become an artist. Like, what type of music were you listening to? Oh, I mean, <laughs> when you were growing up, when I was really I, well, when we were in Hong Kong, we had uh, one. We had like three CDs. One was uh, the Beach Boys' Greatest Hits. One was um, Shania Twain, uh, the one that had Don't Impress Me Much on it. And uh, <laughs> the other one was like a mix CD that some uh, missionary that had come through Hong Kong gave to us. And it had like a techno remix of the Titanic theme song and uh, uh, one of the Jock Jam songs. The one that's like, pump it up. So that was really all we had there. Uh -huh. And we just played a lot of music. Mm. And then in the US, I got exposed to like the most embarrassing music, just like Christian versions of, of pop music. And Did you know you like wanted to be an artist? Well, I actually always wanted to be uh, a vocalist, but okay. I just had a terrible voice. Like in high school, I wanted to be one so bad, but everyone I would sing for would be like, you suck, essentially. No! Um, and, but the thing is like, I, I, you know, I used to be like, oh yeah, I'm proving them wrong. I can't believe they said I sucked. And now I realize like, I really did suck. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I just like, my voice had not developed at all at the time. I mm -hmm. really had no idea what, where my voice sounded good and where it sounded bad. Like I was always trying to like, belt like crazy. Like I started, I, I heard Linkin Park for the first time and I like wanted to be yeah. Chester Bennington so bad. Like just, <laughs> you know, belting all the time. But my voice sounds like shit when I do that. So. <laughs> I had to uh, slowly come into that. Uh, but I actually always, I was always experimenting a lot with film. So I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker and then I got into economics in school. Hmm. But just on the side, started producing music in Ableton just for fun. And uh, it, ended it ended up sort of catching on and, and we started like touring all the time. And um, then I had to drop out of school and it just sort of organically happened from there. It really just started as a hobby for me. Mm -hmm. um, who who uh, introduced you to Ableton? To Ableton? I don't know. I had just, actually at first I was producing in GarageBand because that was the only thing I had heard of. Right. And then I think just looking on online forums, like back then, if you wanted to learn how to make a sound or like what uh, plugins to use, you had to look on the Gear Sluts forums and just find somebody who mentioned something about some synth. Uh, first time I learned how to just make an, to just use an LFO, like just make a wow 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 sound on a bass. I was just like, I fucking did it! <laughs> like I was so excited about it. 
And now, you know, there's just so, there's so much crazy sound design, but um, mm. at the time, bass music was just a lot of like, wow, 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 wow. Right, true, stuff. true, true. Um, were your parents supportive of your music career when yeah. you decided you wanted to do music? Oh, definitely. That's like one of my, the things that I'm really thankful for about the way that I grew up. My parents definitely raised us in a way where we thought we could do pretty much anything. Like they never told us, oh no, that's not realistic. You can't do that, you can't do that. That's like, amazing. They were never worried. No, no. Even in when we were homeschooled, it was like, like when I first expressed an interest in film, my mom changed the curriculum to have a ton of film stuff in it. So then it became my classes. I was what? studying a bunch of film and like, wow, your oh, mom seems let's amazing. go get you an internship at this film company. And yeah, they were always like, just their main things were like um, facilitating curiosity and uh, trying to make sure that we didn't have any feelings of like oh no that's not realistic we can't do that it was always you could do anything so yeah I've, I, th that's one thing I'm so thankful for because a bunch of my friends you know had such a hard time with their parents accepting Ser yeah music seriously career, yeah. yeah really and that's like that's really good to hear that your mom was so supportive about mm -hmm you know, everything like that. What would you say your biggest struggle would be? Music? Yeah, with music. Or just in general? Uh, my, well, for the last couple of years, um, like the last two to three years, I've been going through this sort of like quarter life crisis. Um, because for all of my quarter 20s, life. I was working so hard on Crywolf. Like it was my full-time, full-time, full-time. Right, like right. I would wake up, start working until I went to sleep pretty much for like five years. Um, I just had the mentality that if I wanted to uh, ex like excel in the field, I needed to be willing to work harder than other people were willing to work. So, right. And that worked out really well for me, but it also created a situation where I never even had time to think about like my developing identity. Mm -hmm. And so uh, after I got really, after I started touring a ton, playing festivals a ton, while still making albums, while still making music videos and visuals and everything, wow. it was like, it just sort of came to a head at some point where I just got super burnt out. And yeah. I just had all these questions like, who am I actually? Like my entire identity is mm. Crywolf. Like I don't even know who I am separate from that. So I sort of took a step back and my biggest struggle uh, for the last couple of years has been just answering that question of who I am just reading like crazy and just seeking a lot um, now my biggest uh, struggle I think as a just as a musician in general for the last six or seven years my biggest struggle has been the fact that the music industry is shifting towards uh, really focusing on singles which does not work for me because I like making concept albums. Oh, and a lot of times they don't I've work never as singles heard at all. Of that. Wow. Yeah, like I want to make, I was always obsessed with albums. I was always obsessed with like an album that you could listen all the way through and it was this cohesive story. Like a story. Yeah. And that's so, not, that's not really, you know, not that it's not accepted, but I guess there, how did you, when did you notice, notice that shift? Uh, in the music industry? Mm -hmm. Um. I think it was pretty much there from from when I started making music. Mm. I mean, the concept album thing was something that was never really 
the best thing to do if you want to maximize your social media growth or your mm. social reach. Right. Um, but that was just what I really wanted to do. Like I've never been able to make music that I don't really want to make, which is why I haven't done that many collaborations or writing for other people. It's like, it's not that I don't want to, it's that if I do that, my creative brain turns off and doesn't allow me to. It's like everything I make is shit if I try to make something I don't want to. So mm -hmm. like gotta make concept albums, gotta make this weird crossover music between electronic stuff and the stuff that I really like. Um, so that's been the biggest struggle. It's it, throughout all of Crywolf's existence, it's been really hard for people to know where to place the project. Is it, is it should I be playing the electronic festivals? Oh, it's a little bit too like soft and emotional and mm. I'm playing ballads sometimes on just the piano during the show. Oh, should he play the indie festivals? Well, there are really heavy electronic elements in his oh, uh, set, so that yeah. doesn't really fit. And, um, and then similarly online, it's like when it comes to related artists that you can collaborate with or have sort of this like, um, you know, their fans coming over and listening to you, it's like pretty hard to place, you know. Originally mm -hmm. I was making pretty heavy bass music and there's still that stuff on my Spotify. And now I'm making stuff that has almost no bass in it. It's like totally organic stuff, but all my related artists are still bass music things. So I'll have some track that's only me and a guitar and it will pop up on like the, you know, Seven Lions melodic bass <laughs> station and people are like, what the fuck is this, you know? So how many instruments can you play? Um, I can play like probably 15 instruments, but but that's not like that sounds impressive, but it's not really. It's more like wow. I just have an underlying understanding of music in general. And so therefore I can sort of play most things, but I don't play anything super well. Uh, there's nothing that I could like sit down and really impress somebody on. It's more like I just know I'm just like kind of a jack of all first, trades and yeah, a master what, of none. What was your first instrument? Um, I played the guitar first. Guitar first? Yeah. Who introduced that piano. to you? Um, when we were young, uh, my parents played a good bit of music mm -hmm. and actually had me and my three siblings sing a lot. Uh, we would always be singing these like three part and four part harmonies. Oh my god, are um, you kidding me? Yeah, because Your they household had, like, sounds so like so much fun to grow up with. <laughs> yeah, it was good. The the older and you know, at first when I was younger, I I was sort of like so rebellious against my family, like, oh it made me grow up in this Christian world, no. oh, grow up so sheltered, fuck this. And now my mentality is so different. I see all the amazing ways that my family facilitated who I am now and all the strengths that I have now. That's um, amazing. Even with the music thing. Yeah, we were singing from a very early age. My dad would write songs for us to sing, like based on our interests. And, Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. Him and my mom both played guitar. And, wow. Um, so I started taking lessons when I was like third. Well, I only took lessons for like six months. Do you think that was like one of the first moments you really like fell in love with music singing with your family um like yeah i mean i've always been like super in love with music it's always been the art form that i connect to the most but i just never really thought i could because i didn't seem like it didn't seem like i was that great at playing it it didn't what? seem like i was very good at singing and so I, to me even though my parents didn't tell me it was unrealistic i always thought it was unrealistic so that's why i wanted to do something related like film um 
And then later I got into, I was double majoring in economics and international relations, doing like studying like sustainable development in third world countries. So I sort of got into that area, like, you know, serving the world. And, and it seemed like making art was sort of a more selfish uh, life path. Really? No, I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, I think music I really, know. yeah. Uh, when did you realize um, that it wasn't? Well, I had had like generally a lot of experience in the kind of nonprofit sector. Um, actually, right after graduating high school, I moved to Sudan and was working with some schools there and some relief efforts there. And and when I came back and went to school, started making music, and people started really connecting with it and liking it. A couple years later, like I played one of my first shows, and people came up to me. This was after I had released like two EPs, and people were coming up to me just like, "Oh my God, your music has you know helped me so much. It's it's done this and this and this for me. I was on in such a crazy depression. I was." you know, getting chemo and this was the thing that brought me through it. I was uh, suicidal, stuff like that. And it just clicked for me that oh through actually just diving into myself and expressing my own humanity, it was actually helping way more people yeah. than I ever did with this stuff that I, that, that I felt like was specifically about helping people. It was sort of this weird paradoxical thing for me, like doing the selfish action actually ended up helping way more people than I could just going out and trying to, you know, hand out food to people in third world countries or something like right. that. Um, so it's been really nice for me because I get to fulfill both sides of myself, the part that wants to help the world and also the part that wants to like discover who I am through art. Beginning of your Cry Wolf project, when did you kind of really dive in and, you know, you're like, this is what I want to do? Well, the beginning of there were two phases to the Cry Wolf project. Yes. The first was Cry Space Wolf. And that was just more about making like really fucking punk metal versions of electronic mm. songs. I had a drummer, there were always pits when we would play. Mm. And uh, that was just a result of me sort of being like, realizing that I had been decently good at most things throughout my life, but I had never really worked on any particular skill. I had never like truly put my mind to it. So when music production came up, I was like, what if, what if I just like really set aside time to yeah. try this, to do it and to see how good I can get at it just for a year. And um, so that turned out well, we were just traveling around the Southeast, you know, for us just playing any show was like, wow, we get to play a show, this is <laughs> oh. sick. You know, we were all like on food stands wow. and like eating peanut butter and jelly for every meal and just oh. like so excited to just tour like that. And then I decided to go a different direction and it became Cry Wolf One Word. And I went, I went in a totally different direction, like right. this melodic, emotional, mm. vocal-centric stuff. Yeah. And that was really when I decided that it was something I wanted to do long-term because I saw the results of that. I actually started making stuff that I really felt, whereas before that it was more just about having fun. You came up with Cry Wolf growing up in uh, like a, Cherokee, Native American, like that's how, like you had a friend that, right? Or is this wrong? Oh no, no okay. No, no, I mean it is wrong, but it's not. Oh! It's wrong. Okay, I have a confession to make. <laughs> back when Crywolf, back like a couple of years into Crywolf, um, P 
people we started doing or I started doing interviews a lot and one of the main questions was always where did the name cry wolf come from and I didn't really like talking about my music in general much less like I don't know the origins of certain things so anyway me and my manager had this really funny relationship and we devised this game where every time I was asked what the name Crywolf meant, I had to on the spot come up with a story. Are you about kidding where it me? Came from. So that's a false story? Okay, listen. Because I, you know that's why I got confused when you're like, oh, I was in Hong Kong, and I'm like, Wait. no, 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 Hong Kong's true. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why I was like, everything we've been I, talking about. Because everything, true. everything yeah. I've been reading. Or you know, like the things I read, and I'm like, wait, it's like not because I can no, no, no. Okay, to be fair, I was not doing it. It was more of a long-term joke that I was going to reveal to everybody. Oh, okay. And when I was telling these things, I was not making it believable. I said that my friend in the Cherokee Nation died of the Black Plague. Like, <laughs> wait, like, I didn't read that part. Always like unrealistic. I, just, I, just I always skimmed. added things oh, to make goodness. sure that anyone that was paying attention. I was would be doing like, my oh, research, not. and I guess I did incorrect sure. research, you guys. No, no, no. <laughs> It was, in a, it was in an interview. Another interview, it was like, I got kidnapped by the Yakuza and I was held in this little cell for five days and the only guy that was feeding me um, had a tattoo so of a been wolf trolling, with a tear. You've been trolling all these interviewers and they don't know it? I was doing it in a way that I felt like they would be like, oh yeah, right. Wait, did they believe you though? Or yeah, were they, they like, oh my gosh. But <gasps> anyone reading the interviews would be like, wait, these stories are different. Oh, no, you must be doing a bit. I get it. Oh my goodness. Okay, well okay. that's been revealed. I guess, okay, are you gonna tell we us? We thought it was really funny back in the day. It's, now I feel bad about it. I mean, it's hilarious. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you, and it can't be the wrong answer or a made up one. How did you come up with Crywolf? Well, when I was, um, like eight or nine years old, I was in this uh, traveling circus and I had a really weird uh, job. I was specifically uh, just feeding the wolves. And then during the act, yeah, you were I would actually like, actually actual yeah, wolves? yeah, I would throw me to them. So I would sit in the middle of the ring during the show and they would loose all of these wolves in the ring. And then the guy who controlled the wolves kind of like um, the same as a lion tamer. Um, he had to run to the center as fast as possible and defend me, and it was like, oh, quick, save him. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm going to turn in the segue. I, I was believing you. I'm so gullible, so this is not like a fun thing for me. Okay, you know, no, I'll tell you. <laughs> I actually had the wait, wait, plague when I was Wait, wait, is this a real younger. story? <laughs> just the, just, Justin. I grew up with actually wolf ears on my Oh my, <laughs> I'm tail. done with this interview. We're good. No, I'll tell you the real story. Okay. The real story is that when I was younger and thought, oh, maybe I'll have a band someday, I had a bunch of names written down and Crywolf was one of them. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of evolved to mean a number of different things, like sort of this idea of, um, of the persona that we present towards to the world. Uh, versus our true selves, but the origin was really quite lackluster, which is why we came up with the game. Wow. Um, I just always thought it was cool. What's the best memory that you've had in your Crywolf project? So oh far? man, the so best many, but memory. I would say that the absolute best, as far as like my emotions, would be um, the time that I played Electric Forest 
at the beginning of Cry Wolf, like this whole concept album, crossover, singer-songwriter, electronic thing, especially for the first like three or four years of Cry Wolf, was not a thing. Like it was not a thing that anybody wanted to sign on, you know, agents or managers. They were just like, oh, what is this? I don't know what to do with it. So, so for the first half of Crywolf, I was still like never able to make rent. I was like, couldn't buy food for the most part. It was just like a, such a struggle, but I just kept working really hard. So there was this sort of like background of a lot of blood, sweat and tears and just like, really crossing my fingers that all this work will pay off behind mm. it. And now here you are. Um, yeah, and so when we, when my dream for a long time was just to have a supporting act role on a full tour. Um, so when I, when the Crywolf Project finally, at one point the Crywolf Project finally just like, there was some sort of switch that was flipped and it just caught on. And I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, like li my entire Aww. like life changed really quickly as far as, I mean, I had been used to just like nothing. And then suddenly we were touring and then a couple years later we were playing festivals and I was doing all this work on the visual element for the show and all these different um, aspects of the show. So uh, the biggest festival that I played was Electric Forest and there were like nine to ten thousand people somehow i had gotten this stage slot that i do not think i deserved it was like 9 p.m friday on the sherwood forest what do you stage, mean you don't deserve no like my agent pulled some strings because like compared to the other people that were playing at that mm. time i was not nearly as big but i got to play in front of like nine thousand people oh my gosh that's incredible i had created this whole live set myself and so it was just this feeling of like all my work paying off like everything that I, all this work that i had put in it was just so satisfying to have it finally like validated in some way just like that. i mean and and i wish you know there have been a bunch of other moments like as far as other people go like knowing that i've influenced other people in in a lot of ways but if i'm really honest i would say that was the best moment just because my whole life i've been just working towards this that exact thing mm. and when it came it was just like <gasps> because i mean now looking back it's like like, a, like oh, oh my gosh happened. yeah now looking back it's cried, like of course that happened like. but at the time it's like what if i do all this work and and pour my life into this and then it just never happens wow. it was so terrifying to me so so what's the best piece of advice you can give to someone that's just starting off um, I would say, and I talk about this at my shows sometimes, um, I would say just like really don't underestimate the viability of, uh, making exactly what you want to make. Like a lot of people, I think, see the music industry and legitimately they feel like they need to fall into a certain lane in order to succeed. And that used to be super true in the old school music industry, you had to. But now, the world is so vast, people find things through the internet that are so strange. Like think about all the weird corners of the internet. Things that you would never, like all the subreddits Seriously? that are huge that you're like, who would think of this? Like, why would people be interested? You know, like when I first heard about ASMR, there are millions and millions of views on these videos of someone crinkling mukbang. what's that Muk you've never heard of mukbangs with people with like like a 
crap ton of food and they're just eating all of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So things like that, like you, you don't realize, because I mean, you grow up in a particular area, you're exposed to a certain type of music. You think that you know the world of music when in reality you've only been exposed to like a tiny slice of it. Mm -hmm. And so you think, oh, if I made this sort of music, people wouldn't accept it. But in reality, there are seven billion people on the planet and you've only ever been exposed to like 15,000 of them, you know? Right. So you don't realize that no matter what you make, if it's coming from a really, really true place, there are people that connect to that. Mm -hmm. Like like with my music, you know, there, I have to expose it to, you know, a hundred people for one of those people to really like it. So you just do the work to just continue making stuff that's really true to you and you expose it to as many people as possible and then you trust that that one person, because they're encountering something that's really rare, that they're like, oh my God, I connect to this a bunch, that they're gonna be sharing it with a lot of people, that they're gonna be like, oh, yeah. my friends who like this too, I gotta tell yeah. them about this. So anyway, I just feel like you, you have to be way more okay with creating stuff that's true to you because mm. the truer it is to you, the more it's really gonna mean something right. to people, the more that you're actually gonna be able to like really affect people's lives and change people's lives. Um, I think that's one of the most underestimated things in music um, or one of the most common misconceptions is that you have to do stuff that other people are doing. It takes a lot longer if you're doing something that you really wanna do, but then when it happens, you get fans that are that they like you for exactly what you are. Like I have a bunch of friends who I'm really um, glad I asked this question. Yeah, I yeah, I mean it's it's something I'm really passionate about and like yeah. wanting to tell to younger artists a lot. Wow. Like I have friends that <clears throat> when I was first sort of making uh, more bass music, I had different like you know, people that were making the same sort of stuff and then uh, trap music came out and they like transitioned over to trap and so they like quickly blew up because trap music was blowing up mm. but then they wanted to start making stuff that was more personal to them mm. and their fans just left because they weren't necessarily liking them they were liking trap music right. so they're going to them for a particular like service mm -hmm. essentially and yeah. if they're not providing that service people aren't interested right. whereas if you're really doing something true to you that's different mm -hmm. then the people that come to you they'll stay with you through all kinds of experimentation like they're long-term fans because they're fans of like your essence versus right. just the the kind of service that you provide. Right. What do you want to be remembered for? Mm. What do I want to be remembered for? I mean, in my earlier 20s, I think that was more just, I, I really wanted to be remembered for creating masterful works of art. Um, and I still do. Like, being an artist is still a huge part of my identity. But I also now want to be remembered for, I guess, just being somebody who's really good at loving the people around me, but loving them in my particular way, which is sort of like helping people grow and facilitating that growth. I mean, I know it sounds sort of cheesy, but like- No, I, I, I love your, it seems so like real, you know, like your answers. Yeah, when I was, when I, when I was younger, it was all about creating the masterful works of art. Mm -hmm. And I was like, who cares about 
really the people around me. Like my priority is creating these these things that I, you know, working towards this mastery. And if people, you know, have to, if I have to like, if people have to fall by the wayside, then that's completely fine. And now um, I've just realized that, that yes, you'll be remembered for the art that you create, but you're also really deeply remembered for um, how you, just how you treat people on a regular basis not just with my friends but also with my fans just making sure that I'm trying to facilitate like really deep heartfelt connections with people that leave them feeling like they've been changed in some sort of way or that they've been like you know that they've received a certain type of love that they um, that means a lot to them I guess thank you for that thank you for doing this interview uh, this is Crywolf. We're going to jump into fan questions now. How has COVID affected you? I'm extremely, extremely grateful in this situation because out of most people I know, I'm in like the best situation for something like this to happen. Like, my income does not primarily come from touring. So there are a lot of artist friends of mine that because they can't tour, it's like a really big deal. Um, and pretty much my lifestyle is sitting inside and making music. So it's like, it hasn't really changed. It's like, oh, I have to sit inside and make music more. Um, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for that because I know so many people, and of course, tons of people that I don't know that have been insanely affected by this. Like people with a storefront you know, people that their entire business uh, relies on on people being able to come to that business. Like, I can't even imagine something that you've worked for for so long, your livelihood um, potentially completely going under because of this pandemic. It's like really heartbreaking to me. I don't like jumping into the next question because it's like totally off topic, but. <laughs> no, it's fine. What's your favorite plugin? I would say, well, my most used plugin would be Decapitator by Sound Toys. Um, if you don't use saturation plugins, uh, which Decapitator is technically a distortion plugin, but it can be used for saturation. If you don't use saturation plugins, uh, it makes everything in your mix way thicker and uh, way more satisfying, so. Definitely get on that. I also use a lot of uh, cool contact libraries. I've really liked um, output stuff recently. Um, their analog strings and their substance pack. They're just incredible at making sounds. They're so inspiring, especially for writing. Uh, whoa, sorry, I need to get used to this. What is the biggest lesson you've learned in this industry? Uh, do what you want, never make concessions, even if everyone around you is making it seem like you should. Um, and uh, always include some sort of exit clause in any contract that you sign. Do not fall into the trap that many of my friends and myself have fallen into, where you sign some sort of contract getting sold on something that somebody's gonna do for you. And then there's no stipulation for them actually following through on that. If they don't follow through, you're still stuck in the contract for 
it three years or even perpetuity sometimes. Like I'm currently stuck in a contract in perpetuity for my old catalog that prevents it from being used on Twitch. It makes YouTube videos get taken down. Um, and it came with all these promises, promising the world. But because I didn't include some sort of exit clause, there's no sort of, there's nothing that I can do if they don't follow through. What? So now all my contracts, there's always something that's like, if you don't deliver this, then I'm free to get out of this contract. Wow. Just Cause when you're, when you're coming up, you're like, just the opportunity is like, oh my God, I got to jump on this. But I, wow, <laughs> now later in my career, I'm like, why did I do that? Wow, God. that's a really good point. Wow. Do you ever feel like your music gives people the wrong idea of what you're trying to project with it? <laughs> Um, that was a, that's a deep question. Uh, the wrong idea. I mean, I don't really think about that that much. I think, you know, recently I've shifted over to uh, music that explores much more dark archetypes. Um, and if people have a lot of repression in that area, then they might um, not enjoy that. Or if people see the world in this really black and white, like only happy emotions are valuable and uh, you know, you shouldn't explore any of the darker ones, then they might be turned off by that. Um, and actually, yeah, I'm sure that it gives people a di different impression. Uh, because for instance, like it, my last album, uh, Widow, it was super dark. And um, like I said, if people see the universe through this sort of moralistic viewpoint, then they think, yeah, th they, they interpret that darkness as evil, which is a moral judgment, versus interpreting it as just another thing on the entire range of what makes people human. Um, but, you know, I, I've just never been that worried about that sort of thing because I would way rather make music that's super true to me. And then all the fans that I get to meet are people that I feel like have known me for 10 years because they know these really intimate parts of me versus, versus thinking, oh, people won't understand this, people won't understand this, and then making music that isn't really the fullness of myself. Um, to me, it's way more worth it to have a smaller fan base that goes really deep with you than having a gigantic fan base that is, you know, doesn't really understand the fullness of what you're doing. Uh, a line of lyrics that means a lot to you. Let's go to the next one. I'll think about that one. Okay. After. Uh, let's do three more questions. Will there be any new songs this year? Yes. Finally. <laughs> Finally. Finally. Um, How many? Yeah, I've been working on uh, the new album. And so that will be, that will at least start releasing this year. Um, I'm currently finishing that up. So I have been on a little bit of a hiatus, even though I've released a couple things each year. Um, but this year, yeah, I'm diving back into everything and like making the Crywolf project more of my full-time thing. Whereas I was sort of taking some time off um, to do this masterclass and write a book and do some other stuff that doesn't have to do with music. Um, but yeah, now it's time to dive back in and this is kind of the year that there'll be a lot more oh, new so stuff. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited about um, it. Hmm. Ooh, this is a good one. 
What advice would you give your younger self? Never enter a contract without a reversion <laughs> clause. <laughs> oh man. Um, <laughs> or, um, that's a really good advice. Spend a little more time like trying to understand who you are. Or I would, my, the, my, my, myself in my early 20s, I would say just read a lot more books because mm. I stopped reading for like five years. Mm. And now reading is probably the thing that I, um, would say is like one of the most important things in my life mm -hmm. as far as uh, my overall joy and self-understanding and uh, lack of constant existential crises. Oh, 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 this car is going really fast. Oh, let me go because it's a stoplight. Uh, okay. Okay, this is actually kind of funny. If I'm to name one of my frogs after one of your songs, what should it be? <laughs> mm. Let's see. Um, I would say uh, beauty is not a need, she is an ecstasy. <laughs> and uh, you could just call her ecstasy for short, or butte, or uh, you could call her need if you want. Can we get a picture of this frog? Yeah. By Send me a picture of the frog. Okay. Um, I love frogs. Last question. A line of lyrics that means a lot to you. Oh shit. Um, <laughs> okay, let me and just think we'll about this for a second. A line, a line of lyrics that means a lot. Hmm. I would say probably um, there are a lot of lines from uh, my song Rising Rising that are super meaningful to me because um, when I wrote that song, I wasn't completely sure who I was writing it about. And um, a couple years ago, I was singing it on stage and it was at a pretty emotional time in my life. And while I was singing it, it just suddenly clicked that I had actually written it to like my child self. And so, um, the song goes, lift up your eyes, child, lift up your arms, you are home. I know you're hurt, child, but you can't do this on your own. And the line that really means a lot to me is, and I can see your blood flow. I can feel your hurt now. Did you think I'd let you be alone? I can hear your sorrow singing through the airways. I can tell your breath flows with my own. And also, I guess the next line says, and I will find you somehow. Let me be the salt in your wounds, clean you from the inside. Yeah, those always like, those lines like really mean a lot to me. Every time I sing them, I feel like I'm, I'm having them sung too. I like, have like really goosebumps, I feel like, wow. You're so good with lyrics, oh my oh, goodness. Thank you. It's always but, been my dream to be good with lyrics. Yeah. I was so bad at it when I was younger. What's like a, a really bad lyric? Side question. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> like, give me like a lyric to a Too song. Too many. When I, I've been writing, <laughs> I've randomly written songs ever since I was a kid. And, um, oh, uh, here's a good one. I wrote it when I was five uh, <laughs> in Hong Kong and uh, me and my siblings would run around singing it. Um, 
it goes, um, have you ever given creation to a tree? <laughs> have you ever given creation to a tree? To a tree. Have you ever given creation? Have you ever given vision? Have you ever given creation to a tree? To a tree. And then it, it continues like, like, yes, I have given creation to a tree. It has a bunch of verses. And then at the wow. end, there's a key change up and it goes, we will all give creation to a tree and then there's a big shout to a tree we will all give you know and there's all the harmonies all give all give creation to a tree we will all give creation we will all give creation we will all give creation to a tree <laughs> Wow, well that, um, yeah, that was a perfect ending to this, <laughs> to this interview. I'm gonna say, <laughs> who would have thought that was gonna go in that direction? <laughs> but yeah, guys, thank you for the fan questions. Yeah, thanks, uh, we're guys. We're gonna end it at this. Thank you. Bye.